G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from scuba divers to marine biologists, citizen scientists, zookeepers, underwater photographers, and anyone who has an intense passion for marine life. My name's Matt Testoni and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Natalia Lacano. And she's a trained zookeeper who's been working in the Tasmanian town of Bishano for the past five years as a wildlife guide with little penguins, which is the animal we're going to be talking all about today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. No worries. Little penguins. So just before we jump into little penguins, I just have to say that they're a bird in the ocean, which is really crazy when you think about it. Before we go into them a bit more, tell us how exactly you came to work with and be interested in little penguins. Yeah, so in 2016, I moved from Sydney to the little town of Bishno in Tasmania, and I started working as a tour guide for Bishno penguin tours, and I pretty much never left. (laughs) So working there and seeing the penguins pretty much every night, you fall in love with them very easily and you never get sick of them. Yeah, I can imagine. Because how many penguins do you see on average at Bishno each night? It changes throughout the year because of the seasons. But in the peak seasons, it can be about 100 in a night, if not more, which is around like the summertime. From February, the numbers drop off. Then in winter, you might get one to five penguins a night. So it does vary a lot throughout the year. Wow. So I really want to come back to that question of why. But before we go, start us off with... What is a little penguin exactly? Yeah, so little blue penguins or little penguins, they are the smallest penguin in the world, about 30 to 33 centimetres tall on average. And you actually forget that they're a bird because they spend so much time in the water. They are a bird and they only come onto land for really three reasons, which is breeding, to clean their feathers and oil their feathers um, and to have a bit of a rest and to molt. Yeah. So they spend, do you reckon, how much time do they spend on land compared to in the water? I would say about 20% of the time. Wow. So the rest of the time they're like in the water and what are they doing in the water exactly? I mean, I think the main thing is they're eating, but what are they eating and how are they doing it? So their scientific name is Eudipula minor, which means good little diver. So they are diving about spending most of their time at five to 20 meters deep to catch their food. So they're feeding on pilchards, anchovies, barracuda, baby barracuda. And we've also found recently that they feed on salps. About 25% of their diet is salp. I think a lot of people probably haven't actually heard of salps. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're some kind of that. I mean, to describe them best to people, they're kind of just like this big gelatinous blob that kind of just moves through the ocean in these big chains. I kind of would have likened it to if a penguin is eating salps, it's kind of like just eating jello for a meal or jelly. Like it, it's really nothing in them. So that's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people think when they see a salp that it's an egg of some sort, blue bottle eggs or something like that, jellyfish eggs. But yeah, they're just these strands of plankton. Yeah, so they have found that they feed on them um, mostly when they're breeding. So it makes up 25% of their diet when they're breeding, but then it drops off a bit and becomes more so fish. But yes, what they're doing on the coastline is just bop along along the coastline, feeding out there. I'm sure there's a bit of socialising, having little naps in the water. (laughs) 
Really? So they sleep in the water? Yeah, they can sleep in the water because they're spending majority of time out in the ocean. They need to sleep in the water. So they'll bop along the top of the water, head out of the water because they need to breathe. They're not fish. They would take little naps, but they're sort of semi-conscious in case a shark comes along to eat them. So they have to keep their wits about them. It's not a very restful sleep. They have a much more restful sleep when they come onto land. They will go to the nest and have a bit of a more restful sleep there. Yeah. And so they'll spend days at a time in the water, won't they? Like before they come back to land and then they spend days on land as well. It does change depending on a whole bunch of different variables of how long they'd stay out at sea and how long they'd stay on land. But yes, they can be out at sea for a few weeks at a time before they need to come onto land. And the main reason for that limitation of how long they can spend out at sea is because they need to waterproof their feathers. Um, So they have a little oil gland near their tail that they'll rub their beaks on and then distribute the oil through their feathers using their beaks. But they can only do that on land. Yeah, I think it's actually down near their butt, I believe. And they use that to rub it all over themselves, which is a pretty cool way of waterproofing your feathers. Yes, it's true that it is <laughs> near their bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like they're giving their bottom a little bit of a scratch when they're putting the oil onto their feet. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. And so you mentioned kind of before socialising, that they do a bit of socialising at sea, which kind of reminds me of, tell us a bit of what a raft is, because I love this concept. Yes, so the collective noun for little blue penguins when they're out at sea is called a raft. So when they're all grouped together, it's a raft of penguins. I think that is so great. But then once they come onto land, it changes. And they're now called a parcel of penguins. Parcel of penguins on land and a raft at sea. And so they form, like they kind of form these rafts or like these congregations at sea just before they come in, don't they? And like, tell us a bit about like what that's for. Yeah, so a lot of the penguins' behaviour is predator avoidance because they are so small and vulnerable. So they gather in their numbers to keep safe from predators. So when they're just about to come ashore, they make this little honking sound. It's really cute little sound to hear. So if it's a really calm, still night and there's not much wind and not much waves, you can actually hear them all honking just offshore in the water. And, you know, they're just about to come ashore then. They're all about to surf in. So they gather together with the honking sound. They're just telling each other their location so that they can gather as much as possible before they come ashore. Because they are built for swimming, not so much for land. They need to make sure that they got that safety in numbers before they come onto land. I mean, I know one of the main reasons or main predators is different kinds of birds, other birds, aren't they? Like, do you see much predation or do you see many other birds kind of hanging around trying to have a penguin snack? We have had a resident sea eagle come through the rookery. I haven't seen a sea eagle actually get a penguin, but I'm sure that there are times when a penguin that is home on land uh, might just pop its head out and have a look and the sea eagle's there ready for it. It'd be very unlucky timing, but the sea eagle knows the rookery is there. That is for sure. So they're hanging around a bit. So like you just mentioned, like pop their heads out. So they have, they live in like burrows, which I believe the male and the female make together for their chicks. But like, tell us a little bit about burrows and how big they are and how long the chicks are there for. Yeah, so they do live underground in little burrows. They're like an underground igloo. So if you imagine an igloo, 
upside down and underground, that's the shape of their burrows. So it's a narrow hallway and then a bigger bowl opening at the end, about 60 centimetres to a metre deep, depending how much effort they want to put into their burrow. But also they can be really lazy with the burrows because it takes a male penguin about three weeks to dig these burrows, which is a lot of effort for him. So if he can avoid doing that, then he will, and they will make a nest out of anything that protects them from the elements and from predators. So if that means a dense bush that they can just live under instead, they'll do that. Or we have some boxes that we've made for the penguins and they love these boxes because they save so much energy and just move straight in. They just have to do the house decorating. And people that live close to the coastline in Bishno, they have the penguins in their backyard. One funny story, when I first moved to Bishno, I went to put my bins out on bin night and I heard this squeak under my bins and I look underneath and there's these two little penguins looking back at me like, we live here now. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Luckily, they hadn't actually set up nest, like set up shop in there. If they had put nesting material in there, I probably would have just left the bin. But luckily they hadn't set up the proper nest yet. They were just sitting in there. So I did take my bins out. I just lifted up the bin and they just skedaddled. Wow. And so once they've got a nest, that's their nest for the season or forever? Or how does it work? Yeah, they do try and keep the same nest for as long as possible. There can be a little bit of Goldilocks happening for males that have just reached maturity. They will try and take other nests just because they're trying to avoid digging their own nest. There can be a little bit of fighting going on at the beginning of the breeding season. And so the females, there's a bit of a like, the male owns the nest or he finds the kind of breeding area and then he calls the female over and so forth. Or like, how do their pairings work? There is a lot about penguins that is unknown. They need a lot more research. But the penguins are socially monogamous and sexually promiscuous. <laughs> I love it. Explain, explain exactly what that means. So they pair with one male, one female, like the same pair. They're monogamous socially. So they will raise their chicks together as a couple. But the female will mate with potentially up to like five males in a night. So there's a percentage of chicks that aren't actually related to their dad, but the dad will bring them up as his own. So they're a little bit cheeky. <laughs> Whoa. I know quite a few birds do that. And it's so interesting because I think from what I've read, the male, he doesn't really cheat or go off. It's usually like a lone wolf male that kind of is a bit you know, kind of going around to the females. And so the male at home, he'll stay as long as he's confident that a certain amount of the eggs he's raising are his. If there's too many that aren't his, he'll kind of leave and then she's in trouble. So female penguins tend to mate to a level so as not to annoy their partner, but also to kind of get a bit of a genetic differentiation, I guess, would be a scientific term. Yeah, I think that is the biological reason because it is quite funny and I have seen it and it's really confusing because we've been told for so long that they're monogamous until we found out from recent studies that they are actually promiscuous, which explains so much of what we've been seeing going on in the rookery because we're just so confused. We're like, what is going on here? Like sometimes there are three penguins involved and it's really confusing. <laughs> wow. So does this all happen like under the cover of darkness or are you out there on a tour and then, you know, you're just like, oh, whoa, that is not right. 
Definitely. They have no shame. <laughs> no shame at all. Yes, coming on the tours in the breeding season, which is a bit more M-rated. <laughs> oh, well. Well, so after this happens anyway, so the chicks, how many eggs and how many chicks do we get in a nest and how long are the chicks there? Yeah, so the female, she lays two eggs. Very, very rarely does she ever lay three. And if they do lay three, they actually just choose two and kick one out because they're not big enough to incubate three. So they incubate them for 35 days and they actually share the incubation. So there is evidence though to suggest that one of the parents actually does more of the incubating, but generally they share it. Um, the longest we have witnessed a female sitting on eggs without her partner coming home to swap was about eight days. And we were really concerned that she was going to abandon the eggs, but she didn't. Uh, she waited until it was her turn to go get food, which was good because her chicks hatched. I think there's about a 60% hatch rate for the eggs. Generally speaking, one's a male and one's a female. Wow. That's so interesting that like there's a split. So once we have the chicks, one, are they really cute and fluffy? And two, how long do they stay around for? Yeah, so the chicks are adorable when they're first hatched. The eggs are the same size as a chicken's egg. And so the chicks are really small and vulnerable when they first hatch. They can't lift their head for the first 24 hours. That's how vulnerable they are. So the parents stay with them wow. as if they were still in the eggs. One parent's always with them for the first two weeks of their life. And the parents take turns going out to sea and bringing back food for the chick. So for the first two weeks of their life, only one parent is feeding two chicks. So they're not getting that much food, but they're pretty small. So when they're about two weeks old, then both parents go out to sea during the day and get food for them and come home at night. So that is when the penguins are doing the most amount of work out to the continental shelf, which from our rookery is about 20 kilometers offshore, and then swimming back at night and then hiking back to the nest and then feeding the chicks and then doing it again the next day. Yeah. So, you know, this little 30 centimeter um, seabird is like swimming almost 40 kilometers in a day never mind the swimming that they do to catch the fish yeah and then what and then they've got to hike back to their nest like how far is the furthest nest from the beach very specifically they can nest up to 1.6 kilometers inland um but they don't all live that far away that is really far our ones are probably about 30 to 50 meters from shore yeah so it's a lot easier for them prime real estate yeah so it's not too much of a uh, a crazy hike back after a tri It's not a triathlon day for the penguins. And so tell us your, apart from the bin story, tell us your favorite kind of penguin story or penguin encounter or things you, thing you've seen. When they have chicks in the summertime, they all have different personalities. And there are some chicks, when they're about two weeks old onwards, they are really curious and they'll waddle out of the nests at nighttime and come and check out all the humans that have come to look at them. Some of them are really shy, but some of them are really curious of you and they'll come up to you and they're like looking at your shoes, like, what is this? And they'll peck at your shoelaces. And very particularly, they are really curious about the shoes that have the reflectors on them, that reflector material. They like peck at that, like they're so confused and checking it out. And it's so cute to see them do that. Yeah, it's just when the babies are checking you out, it's a really cool experience. Wow. I, I really would love to know, like, what it is about the reflection. I mean, I know some animals hunt using bioluminescence and that kind of shine, or they see in different spectrums of light. It could, could be anything. It's pretty cool. It could be that. Also, they play with, like, insects. 
So they don't eat insects, but inside their nest, they have all different insects in there as well. You can actually see them pecking at moths or, or just playing with them. So curious of life, like little toddlers. <laughs> wow. It makes you wonder how smart penguins are, really. Like, I know they're, yeah, they're pretty, pretty cool animals, but have you got any, like, weird or cool facts about them? So the male penguins, when they reach maturity at around three years old, they'll actually return to the same rookery where they were born. So then they'll nest near where their father nested or where their older brothers will be nesting. So theoretically, all the males in a rookery should be related to one another. The female daughters, they will potentially come back to that same rookery as well, but they will migrate to other rookeries. So the penguins, they exist all around the south coast of the mainland of Australia and around the coast of Tasmania. So they could easily swim to any of these areas around Australia or they could spend one season in one rookery and then move to another one if they don't like that guy. They can try the guys in the other rookery. Wow, it's like moving town to find a, find a new lover. I love it. Yeah, I, I know they've had records of them swimming like hundreds of kilometres, like ones from... Melbourne and Victoria ending up near Adelaide and pretty crazy. But I guess one of the big things is that if the males always return to the same kind of spot, that means any time like a penguin rookery goes extinct or any kind of thing like that, they just will never recolonize the area or they're unlikely to. And that's a huge conservation issue. Yeah, exactly. That is, there's a lot of conservation issues with penguins. Tell us about a few of the other threats they have. The major one for them is overfishing and also climate change. So the seas are warming up, which means that the fish that they eat are moving further and further away. So they have to swim further and further to find their food. This can cause them to not have very good breeding success in the breeding seasons. And when they molt, when their feathers all fall out and they get the new ones, they have to prepare for that so they don't die of starvation. So they have to get as chubby as they possibly can. Uh, if the food supply isn't there, then they can't get chubby enough and they could die of starvation during the molt. Yeah, and, and that's an issue for like all kinds of, I mean, lots of animals that live on land and then use the sea for food. As like it decreases and as, you know, the climate changes how seafood moves around. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite interesting that, yeah, it's the energy demand that's kind of killing them a lot. I know uh, Tassie is very lucky there's no foxes. But I know on mainland Australia, foxes and, you know, feral dogs and feral cats are a huge one as well. And as you mentioned before, roads is a bit of a dangerous one. But enough about the negative stuff. If people want to see penguins or they see one or they, you know, happen to stumble across one on the beach, one, how should you go and see penguins? And what are some of the things you should do to make sure that you're not interfering in their, their habitat and their lives? Yeah, so as I mentioned, a lot of their behaviour is predator avoidance and they see humans as a predator depending where they are. Some of them are really conditioned to humans, like the ones in our rookery, very used to humans, as long as we do particular behaviour, such as staying still and being quiet. So the penguins, they're trying to get from the ocean to their nest. We've talked about how far they've swum during the day. We don't want to disrupt them and make it harder for them to get to their nest. So to see the penguins, it's really good if people go through companies or volunteer groups to see them because they need to be protected on their path to the nest. You don't want to block their path to the nest. So at Vishnu Penguin Tours, for example, where we stand and where we're positioned and the behaviour that we do doesn't disrupt the penguins on their way to their nest. So if you're wanting to light them up, 
use a red torch. It's tricky to take photos under a red torch, but it doesn't disturb the penguins because they cannot see red. Don't use a white flash from your phone camera. Things like that can really disturb them and cause temporary blindness, which is the last thing you want to do for the little penguins. And try go through a group that can show you the penguins in a safe environment for the penguins. I guess they're on the beach. So one, like, as you said, like, don't kind of disrupt them. If you go through a proper agency, that's really good. And if you find a burrow, definitely don't go near it, I think is like another important kind of one. And if you're driving around parts of Phillip Island in Victoria, Bishano in Tassie, just be really careful. And if you see a penguin sign, please slow down would be the main one, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. If you see an injured penguin or a penguin that's out during the day, it is probably sick. So just get in touch with the local wildlife sanctuary. If it's in danger of being attacked by a dog or something like that, then you might safely collect it with a towel and pop it in a box and keep it in the shade and in the quiet until someone can come and collect it. Yeah. Well, I, I hope no one gets into that situation. But I mean, I, I would just love to see penguins while I'm diving I guess that would be the ultimate one like in the wild like ah yeah I've thought about that too it'd be so cool to see them out in the water if you're I wonder if anyone's done it snorkeled or dive right at that time when they're about to come ashore and they're all honking and you just see them above (laughs) you (laughs) it would be a pretty amazing (laughs) sight I reckon not that I encourage anyone to go and disturb the penguin raft but um, I do know a few people that have seen them. Like, I think the best chance you can see them in the wild, in the water, is just by luck. You know, you just have to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. A lot of snorkeling. Like, because they are fishing, especially when during breeding season, they're fishing closer to home as well, I think, looking for stuff on the way back. Yeah, I think if penguins were to come across a human snorkeling or diving underneath them when they're coming home, they would be terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe we don't, maybe we don't do that, but uh, yeah. So, and as you mentioned, red lights or night scopes, I think if you want to go and if you do have a little spot or you have seen penguins around, make sure you don't use a torch, use a night scope. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our penguin episode. Thanks so much for being on. And if, if anyone wants to do a penguin tour, I know that in Victoria, they do them on Phillip Island, but in Tasmania, Bishno penguins, what's the best time of year and how do you go about doing a tour? Yeah, so now is a really good time to see them because they have some eggs and pretty much from now on until February, they'll be having chicks in the rookery. Um, So you can book a tour and check us out by going to www.bishnopenguintours.com.au and Bishno is spelt B-I-C-H-E-N-O. You can also check us out on Instagram. Uh, We like to post other people's footage reshare it when they come on the tours and also footage that the guides have taken of the penguins and some fun facts so you can check us out on instagram at bishano penguin tours awesome well thanks for being on the show thank you so much for having me sea creatures podcast is hosted edited and produced by myself matt testoni you can see my photography on instagram at matt underscore testoni underscore photography or visit our sea creatures podcast instagram just sea creatures underscore podcast Production assistance by Georgia McGrath and music by the talented Dan Musil. If you like the show, you can join our Patreon account where you can help with the weekly running costs of the show. Just go to www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Coming up next time on the Sea Creatures Podcast, we're going to be talking all about plankton. 
with Plankton expert and fan Eric Hoyt. This has been the Secrets of Podcast. Over and out.